0: Welcome to The Playbook, presented by FanFood, a discussion around how leaders are modernizing today's customer experience through technology in sports, entertainment, and hospitality. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, and joining me today is Jason Howarth, Vice President of Marketing at Panini America. Jason, great to have you on the show.
1: Hey, Rob, how are you?
0: I am doing amazing. Uh, can you give a quick overview on who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, well, first off, I, I have to. You, you, you know, I always uh, take you to task on that trading card wall behind you. I think that they shouldn't be tacked up like that. They need to be in nice card holders and protected properly.
0: Well, so here's the thing about that. I would agree with you. There is a separate box, which is off camera, that has Frank Thomas Was my favorite player growing up. So I have every Frank Thomas card. Um, I have some like Shaq rookies, Roger Clemens rookies. So the ones that are of actual value, but back in the day, these cards were supposed to pay for college. More specifically, the Greg Jeffries Future Stars card was supposed to be worth like a quadrillion dollars. And guess what? It wasn't. And one thing yeah. that I always say is these cards are only worth something if I'm able to sell them. And quite frankly, there's probably not a card more than $20 on this (laughs) wall. So for me, it serves me a lot more to have baseball card wallpaper than it does being like, Hey, who's interested in this Harold Baines, Donruss home, or diamond Kings card or something of the like.
1: Exactly. And it sounds like you and I grew up around the same age because for me it was, Man, I, I can't wait to get that 1987 Donruss-Bo Jackson-rated rookie because that's going to be the thing that puts me over the top. Um, or as we were talking about, Eric Dickerson behind me, that 1983 Eric Dickerson rookie card was, you know, the prized possession, and it still is the prized possession, uh, completely undervalued in the market for sure. Um, you know, but that's my own perception of that. Um, So, yeah, a little bit about me. You're right. I'm I'm the VP of marketing for Panini Trading Cards. We're the exclusive trading card partner of the NBA, the NFL, um, the English Premier League, FIFA, um, NASCAR, and college. So, I mean, pretty much everything. And then we also have a relationship with Major League Baseball Players Association. So, um, yeah, so we're, we're in it.
0: So there's so much that I wanna dig into right now. Let's start with this in terms of the heat or popularity on the trading card industry, because it feels like over the last year, and certainly with me having baseball card wallpaper around me, people bring this up quite often of like, Rob, are you a huge trading card fan? And it's, I'm just a huge sports fan and this is my childhood and the manifestation of my dreams. But I'm curious to hear from you, from your perspective, the growth of the industry, the heat of the industry, because what I'm seeing is that trading cards have become the new sneaker heads. And what I mean by there's now a secondary market. So back in the day we used to use Be- it to try and rate our cards and stuff now you've got a myriad of different ways that you can buy and sell these cards there's limited edition so can you dig a little bit more into sort of the current state of the trading card market
1: yeah so i mean i think that first off I, there's always been a secondary market for trading cards Um, When you and I grew up, it was, you know, I mean, there was no level of scarcity in the product, which devalued the product and made sure that you couldn't get, um, you know, buy your house with that Greg Jeffries card that you were talking about (laughs) earlier. Um, That and probably performance, but, um, you know, so... Now, I mean, the scarcity is built into the product a bit differently, in that, you know, cards are numbered, you know, there's numbered, you know, one of ones, there's numbered to 25, there's numbered to 49, you name it, so that they're unique and limited in that factor. Um, and then we've got a variety of products and brands across all of our sports that kind of start at like an entry level point of view to a high end level point of view. And our high end might be a brand like Flawless, which comes in a steel briefcase, has diamonds embedded in it, has, you know, pieces of gold embedded in the cards, you know, along with the player autograph or cut you know, cut pieces of the player jersey um, in the product. So that's, you know, that's really helped, you know, elevate the marketplace. And then, you know, the rise of digital and social has really made, you know, to your point, the value of a card is only um, valuable be- based on what people want to sell it for and what people want to buy it for. And, you know, back in the day, the only way to do that was to go into hobby stores or go into trading card shows and, and, and sell the product. Now you have a whole plethora of, you know, places where you can look to sell those products, you know, sell the cards individually, whether it's on eBay or some other platform. Uh, so that's helped elevate and really kind of give rise to, you know, where people see the values um, and, and really kind of understand what's happening in the market
0: is the industry still, so back when we're going to hobby shops to buy the packs, I think there is something beautiful. One of the reasons why I love sports so much is maybe I only had $7 and I could buy one pack of cards and I would sit there and there's a box of 20 and I'd be like, I'm gonna go into the the back right and I'm gonna go three down and you're gonna pick it. And there was a very big relationship between you and where you're buying the cards in this pack of cards in the hope that that's inside of it. And when I hear you talk about flawless and diamonds and gold, I feel like that's far away from where I was as a car, a kid collecting cards. So if I look forward to the kids who are collecting right now, are they doing that with their parents or sort of what does the kid market look like on this versus the okay. mature buying and selling right. gold markets?
1: Yeah, the kid the kid market is definitely growing. We've seen a lot of that happen. I mean, again, we have products that sell at Walmart and Target and hobby stores and you can buy a pack of cards for 4.99 or 9.99 and still get some great quality players and quality cards in in those products. You know, you think of a brand like Prism which, you know, kind of extends across all of our, you know, sports, you know, properties whether that be NBA Prism or NFL Prism or NASCAR Prism which just came out a few weeks ago in WNBA prison that just came out last week where, you know, Sabrina is the hottest rookie, you know, in the space right now. And people are going after that WNBA card, uh, you know, for her rookie card. Um, so, I mean, that those, those products definitely, you know, definitely exist. And I think the thing that's really cool about Panini is what we've done is we've created a portfolio that starts from, you know, low tier to mid tier to high end. And so, you know, in the case of the NFL, you know, we'll have 36 different brands that are released in, a, in an NFL year. Uh, we'll have 33 different NBA brands that are released this year around, the, around this rookie class. Um, you know, obviously a bit different in that, um, you know, our first product for the 2021 NBA season won't come out until January, just based on the fact that, you know, we're still 15 days away from this NBA draft when it typically is held in June.
0: So another question I have around this is now let's think of this as an investment for the adults or the people out there in the market. And from just what I see on social media, because of course I do follow all of this different stuff is people who are, let's call them hedging their bets or placing strategic bets. So you see rookies out there in the market that you're like, I'm going to start buying a lot of this player's card, hoping that this actually hits the way that we are hoping this hit 20, 30 years ago. So can you talk a little bit more about that side of things, the the prospecting or almost the I'm buying this as an investment in how does that work from a we know the number one picks. Of course, you want the Mike Trout, so the LeBrons are the, the biggest guys there, but Being a sports fan and having knowledge enough to realize that, wait a second, I could get someone like DK Metcalf if I saw that a year ago or something, where now all of a sudden he's on the rise. What does that sort of look like, the prospecting market around investing?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, trading cards has always been really compelling and built around rookies, right? And so you go deep there. And and so waiting for a player to emerge, whether that's DK or someone else that you know has popped out that you know kind of surprises people. Tyler Hero, for example, based on his player playoff run, you know guys like that. And so you know yeah, we all know the number one, number two picks. We know the you know know the top five picks that are compelling, um, you know for that matter. But I think what you know what's really happened, and I think this plays well into you know, the fantasy game, right? Like we're not always going to get the number one pick for fantasy, right? So we, we go deep, we find our sleeper picks, you know, we, we look at guys rookies, like, you know, a guy like T Higgins for that matter, you know, great wide receiver class in this NFL class. And a guy like T is, you know, stepping up and balling out every game. Now, you know, as we're halfway through the season. And so, you know, you think about the guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and the guys that were picked at the top of the, you know, the top of the draft. And you're like, yes, I want to collect those guys. But I think also people start thinking about like, Hey, I can go a little bit deeper to your point, DK, you know, or T Higgins this year or Josh Jacobs last year for, as an example, as a running back. Right. And so I think that, you know, people can look at it that side. There's, you know, a couple of different ways, you know, people that are hedging their bets or investing, are kind of looking at things. Everyone is in on the rookies, you know, so they're looking, you know, to try to build off of that. That's always going to be a part of the game. You know, you see guys deciding to say, you know what, a guy like, you know, and this is a bad example because he's balling out and and has been for a while, but like a guy like Patrick Mahomes is a guy that is probably undervalued. I need to jump in on him rather than focus on the rookies or focus on these guys that are going to, you know, potentially put on a gold jacket at some point, you know, rather than maybe just fully focusing on the rookie side of it.
0: And with someone like Patrick Mahomes, where does the maturity of the value come in? So, I'm with you. So he wins the Super Bowl, now all of a sudden his entire career is much more valuable now, but does the mar- how quickly does the market catch up? Maybe that's the better question of knowing yeah. knowing the trajectory. Alright, Mahomes is going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to be one of the best quarterbacks ever. So, Does the value of his cards immediately shoot up or is it year by year gradual sort of, how does that
1: work? So, I mean, it's, you know, I I think obviously the value of his cards, uh, shoot up based on what's happening in the market. Obviously, you know, if he's performing well, it's going to be up. If he's not performing well, it's going to be down, you know, the rookie, you know, the rookie cards for those players are always going to be the ones that are, you know, people want to get a hold of, but I also think the years where they're having great performances are the years to hold on to, too. And, you know, everyone has a different mindset in terms of how they collect. So, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. Of course, you know, if you're going to shoot for something, get the rookie. If you're going to shoot, if you're going to shoot for, you know, perform, you know, a, a player try to get his best year's performance, you know, you know, pulling from those sides. But I think the other thing that's really compelling now is that, you know, what we're doing in our products is that there's a, um, You know, we have various inserts that are so compelling now that, you know, if you get a kaboom out of our Prism product, which is kind of very artistic and very cartoony like, you know, those cards are selling really well, regardless of whether the player is a rookie or not. Um, You know, you've got our Color Blast versions that are popping up in our products, depending on what sport you're in, whether that be our, you know, Spectre product for basketball or our Absolute product for NFL. Those are the cards that you want to kind of get. Um, And I think because there's so much variety from a design perspective, find the designs that are important to you that you like are like, wow, this is really compelling. I love this. I want this. And and start building your collection that way.
0: So I love that you're talking about this because one thing that blows my mind, probably on a daily basis when I look at my baseball card wall, is the pictures that are chosen for some of the players. It blows my mind. So, you've got Jim Abbott, one of the greatest athletes ever, who only had uh, one arm, who they show him a picture of him bunting. And I'm like, this is incredible. Who came up with this idea? Or you can see somewhere clearly the player just got called strike three, or there's a Tom Chambers one where he's alley it and I'm curious in the choosing of the designs. And you sort of talked about it from the creativity and variety side of things, because I think there's so many opportunities and certainly with the way that digital has evolved now for us to extend the story. So while we might love Patrick Mahomes and seeing him in the, the stoic quarterback look, I would actually also like to see some other stuff, whether it's graffiti or black and white or a variety of different things. So can you take us a little bit deeper into sort of the, the, choosing of the cards or the variety around the pictures
1: yeah so i mean i think first off i mean you know obviously the variety is built on you know whatever the you know whatever the brand you know stands for you know if it's very action specific then we're going to look for like really good compelling action photos it's also built into the design does it fit and work within the design um, and then, you know, we always try to isolate the player, we try to minimize, you know, background players, whatever we possibly can, but sometimes you just can't. And so, you know, so it all depends on what the brand is, and what those, you know, what the standards are, or what the expectation is, is, is in the product. And so you'll see, you know, the stoic look that, you know, or, you know, the, that, you know, standard look where he's just holding the ball, right? Or, you know, then you'll see the action in some of our other brands that kind of bring it to life. And I think those are the things that are the most creative. And then we talked about, you know, the graffiti side thing, the, the animation side of things, you know, the cartoony look, those definitely have a place in there, you know, are really popular, you know, whether it's, you know, that, you know, that you see Tom Brady behind me, like, I mean, that's an image that you want on a card, right? Like, so, you know, bringing that to life.
0: I'm curious on the community side of things, because one of the great things about sports and certainly in trading cards is it is a passionate community. And I'm curious how Panini thinks about engaging the customer that you guys have. Cause you have someone who says, I want the product that you have. And oh, by the way, I want the product that I might not even be able to get from you. So you've got someone who's like, I'm ready. I'm here. And I want to dig a little bit deeper into your mindset because I believe every company can take the things of how you guys are doing them and apply it to their business, even though you don't have to be selling trading cards for your mindset to work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, good question. I mean, I think, you know, for us, we're always, you know, thinking about being as authentic as we possibly can. Um, you know, our product is athletes on, on, on cards. And so, you know, whenever we can connect the athlete to the fan, um, you know, we want to do that because it helps bring it to life, makes them want to collect that player more. Um, This year is obviously very different given the pandemic and some of the limitations around how we can go about engaging fans. And so we've had to think differently about that. Um, You know, Uh, we've done a number of Zoom Q&As with fans and players. Just last week, we had a Zoom Q&A with Denver Broncos fans and KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy. And, you know, just having them talk and interact and not just talk about, you know, what's happening on the field, but their experience in Denver, what they're doing, what their mindset is, how they're preparing. And, you know, kind of bringing that to life of who these players are off the field helps resonate with who we are as a brand and helps make people say, man, you know what? KJ Hamler, he was so fun. He was so energetic. I want to go get his card because of that connection because they see what he's doing beyond just the field. And so those things are really important. Um, you know, to, to us, I think, you know, we're always looking to find ways to engage our fans. I think one of the thing that's, things that's so compelling about our product is that I, I always say, it doesn't matter how old you are, when you get a pack of cards in your hand, you know, you're excited to see what's inside it. It doesn't matter how old you are. And if you happen to pull a player from your favorite team or a hot rookie, you're ecstatic, whether you're four or 40. And so, you know, that is, you know, we want to bring that experience to life as much as we possibly can, that energy, um, you know, because there's nothing like it. And, And I think what's happened during the pandemic, especially is that this feeling of nostalgia that's kind of like we sometimes forget is we're so focused on doing everything we're supposed to be doing. And then we're shut in and there's nothing for us to do we harken back to like you know your card wall as a kid right like and what those cards mean to you regardless of what the value is in a book or on ebay right that just that connection and that bond and it just like is it's freeing because it gives you something like fun to think about and you know being able to bring that to life and share that with with consumers is really you know really compelling and really what we try to push into on every step of the way whether you know, in the, in the last six or seven years, the trading card has evolved and you've got case breaking that happens now in the community, which is this online platform where a bunch of people, it's like the best socially distant community activation you could possibly have. And thank God they've been doing it for the last six or seven years because it really prepared us for the pandemic. Um, Because if you're an NFL fan, for example, there'll be 32 spots in that case break and you can be sitting all over the world on your couch at home you know, at 11 o'clock at night participating in a case break. And if you're a Miami fan, you know, you might end up getting the Miami Dolphins. I'm a Patriots fan. I might get the New England Patriots, but every card that comes out of that case that's a Dolphin goes to you. So this year you're going to get Tua, you know, this year, I'm, I'm going to still be focusing on my veteran guys from a Patriots perspective, unfortunately, um, or, you know, um, but, you know, so th- those types of things in that interaction, they're interacting online they're chatting in the middle of the case break. Every time there's a great poll, you're excited for the guy that just got a, you know, got a top rookie because he's got the Cincinnati Bengals or whatever it is. And so that, that stuff is really kind of brought the whole mindset to life as well. And so we push in on that. And when we have the opportunity, we, you know, try to bring players into those case breaks, you know, around events, typically when we're not in a pandemic, you know, because we get them to open up packs of cards and talk about the players that are on the card. You know, whether they're a teammate or whether they're someone they played against or, you know, a moment or interaction that they had, because it just helps, you know, humanize the player for lack of a better definition.
0: So how does a case breaking work? Like, can I sign up and is, is this like pooled liquidity where like how much does a typical case cost? And then is there 32 of us involved in this or some number and help us understand this a little bit more because I think this is a great idea from an engagement in a community building standpoint, because you're sitting there being like, all right, listen, together we're all in this, but I'm going to get my little piece. So can you describe it a little bit more for those who don't know?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, Rob. I mean, you know, it's pooled liquidity for lack of a better definition, uh you're buying a whole case, so that case, for example, could be you know a five thousand dollar case it could be a ten thousand dollar case depending on what you know there's the market price and then there's the secondary market price so depending on where you buy it uh depending on what the brand is right is gonna change the value and cost per case so i mean you might and you might get in. On a case break, if there are 32 and pay in at $50 for a team, it just depends on how the case break is structured. You could, you know, au- they auction off teams. Um, you know, they randomize teams, uh, so that creates that kind of thing. But for example, you know, uh, you know, my wife would kill me if I had said, you know, what I'm going to go spend $1,500 on a box of flawless, um, and I'm going to get 10 cards, and I don't know what's going to be inside. You know, if all of a sudden I participate in a case break and I'm, you know, paying 20% of that overall value of a case, you know, of a case of flawless, that's a little bit more palatable for my wife. Hey, you know what, this is just like if I was going out to have dinner and hang out with the guys, you know, like now you're doing it from your home and you're still hanging out with, you know, 30 plus people, you know, and then you've got a whole bunch of people that are online just watching to see what comes out of the product.
0: I I love that, and it makes sense that you're just not on a per team because I'd be like, sure, just give me the Pelicans because I just want to try and get a Zion or the Bucks with Giannis. So you can almost take the element of March Madness bidding if you've ever been in one of those Calcutta things where you're like, yeah. well, if you want to get the Pelicans, it's going to cost you more because someone over here is willing to bid for it, whereas you get one of these teams that no one cares about. You're like, all right, let's roll with this.
1: And that's the thing that I think is really cool too is that like, you know – Man, last year, you'd be devastated if you ended up getting the Cincinnati Bengals in a case break. This year, you're ecstatic because that means you're getting Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, and, you know, who are both balling out right now. So, I mean, you're ecstatic if you get the Cincinnati Bengals because every card that comes out that's a Joe Burrow or T. Higgins is going to you.
0: That, that's awesome. So, one thing I noticed on the Panini website is a blockchain store. And I was like, huh, what is this? And I wanted to see if you could tell more about blockchain cards or what the blockchain store is.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. So, I mean, you know, I think everyone talks about blockchain. Um, we've spent about two and a half years kind of digging into it to figure out how it fit best within, you know, our category and our space. And so we made a couple of different, you know, processes that we put in place, right. And, you know, blockchain is typically tied to digital and cryptocurrencies we felt like you know, in this space we already have a, you know, a valued collectible. The last thing we need to deal with is our a, a, a currency volatility. You know, so we decided that our blockchain platform would be um, a private blockchain platform on our website um, you know, that is controlled within that own ecosystem. Uh, but every product would be sold in US dollars. So one, you're not worried about you know currency volatility on top of a player performance volatility, you know. Uh, so that was I think a very important first step for us. You know, we launched our blockchain platform in January. Um, we decided that the best way to do that from a trading card perspective was to um, in- introduce blockchain in both a physical and you know a blockchain format. So uh, we had a hundred cards set. You know featuring the best players across all sports um, and you had a, um, a physical version of the card that also came with a blockchain version of the card and so uh, for collectors you know who understood the value of a Kyler Murray national treasures card in a physical form and might not have understood the digital side or the blockchain side of it because part of this is education too you know is you know, they already know what the value is from a physical perspective. So they're looking at that from a, okay, this is what the value is from a physical side of it. And I'm gonna put a moniker of you know, a, 10, you know, a 10% above that from a, you know, from a blockchain perspective or 20% above that based on the fact that I'm getting the blockchain asset with it. And so we've seen some of that. And then we've also done things where we've introduced blockchain as just purely blockchain digital assets. Um, and there's a different value when there's not a physical card tied to it, but people are understanding what that means. Um, so we've done it that way. And we literally have now kind of evolved from, you know, we, we roll out our blockchain products where, you know, we'll create a 30, 40 card set, but we'll release 10 cards per week. So that we have blockchain kind of living on our platform all year long. And so there's always a new blockchain release every single week that people can push into and so sometimes it's physical, some, sometimes it's physical and a blockchain asset. Sometimes it's just purely a blockchain asset. And then we've also introduced blockchain into our physical products. So if you open up a, a pack of cards or a box of cards, you might actually also get a blockchain card in there, which you go in, you punch in the code on our website, the paniniamerica.net, you know, under the blockchain side of it and you automatically get that blockchain asset. So you're building that in as an extra value within the physical product.
0: I I really like that because it is such a simple piece of fan engagement. If you knew that, you are going to get a blockchain card or there's a randomization of it because now you're like, well, what is this thing? And you're immediately introduced because you're forced to. So now when you're typing that in, once again, you get that same feeling all over again of, wait a second, what could this be? And while you're talking about all of this, I was curious about for both of us, what is the most valuable digital thing we've ever experienced? So I was trying to think about the difference between having a trading card where you can physically touch it. And if I were to receive a blockchain card where let's say it's that same Kyler Murray thing where you're like, wow, this is awesome. There's a value of whatever, a hundred dollars on it. But what other areas of our life, if any, can we think about where we value the digital side of something that much? Can you think of anything?
1: That much? No. I mean, you know, certainly there are digital assets. I mean, we all, you know, we, I grew up collecting, you know, buying cassettes and CDs, right? And now everything's on my phone. So, um, you know, whether that's through Apple Music or Spotify, you name it, right? So there's, you know, we value those assets for sure. (laughs) So, but not to the level that you're seeing on on a blockchain trading card. Um, you know, depending on the player, depending on the card, I mean, we've had cards sell for, you know, $300. We've had sell, cards sell for $30,000, $40,000, um, you know, on the blockchain blockchain side of it. And the blockchain side, like we talked about, is an emerging space, you know, that's going to continue to evolve as people get to understand what, you know, what the value of a blockchain product is. Um, so if you're getting in now, now's the best time to get in because, The You know, for the most part, if you're getting the right player, the value of that card is only going to go up.
0: Amen to that, because even if you don't understand it, just be forward thinking enough to understand if you are more digital in something that you are doing, that is only going to be a better thing down the road because we are only going to continue to get more digital in everything that we do.
1: And that's why we also decided for the, you know, for it to be in a U.S. currency, right? Because, you know... The last thing you need to try to do now is try to figure out like, what is blockchain and how do I do it? And then figure out like, oh, well, how do I go out and purchase this? I need a digital wallet. I need to go buy a, a cryptocurrency. And you know, this card costs 500 bitcoins and now I wake up tomorrow morning and it's five bitcoins. Like, no, you know, let's, let's put something that people understand at a minimum currency, right? And then let's continue to educate them on the blockchain side of it and the value of the asset. We all know how important assets are, right? So, you know, the value of that asset from a digital form and being able to have ownership of that asset, you know, in a digital side. And then the the other side is the level of authentication. We can track, you know, you got that first digital asset, you sold it to me. Now I have the ownership of it. So you can see the whole timeline of, you know, who's owned that card.
0: Well, it solves one of the biggest issues in the industry. I mean, I guess it has several. One, you don't have to worry about the grading of a 1 to 10 because all of them are a 10 of 10 because it's a digital thing. And then two would be the authenticity side of it because by design, blockchain is built around authenticity. Yeah. So you know you're getting what you're getting, which in the trading card industry, as you're getting to these more expensive things, um, you need to be a little bit more cautious about is this – authentic? Is this graded? what's really going on with
1: this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, I think we looked at things initially is like, here's the value that blockchain brings to the trading card category for us. It's a level of authenticity. It's a level of, you know, building out a digital asset and creating value value for a digital collectible when people already understand that collectible there's, I mean, people have been collecting, you know, cards since the 1890s, right? Like, I mean, so there's a value and understanding of a collectible instead of creating a digital collectible for the sake of creating a digital collectible that doesn't really have any value.
0: Love it. Jason, really enjoy jamming with you. I love following everything that you do and that Panini does because I just love this industry. It's a part of who I am. And it's why I'm such a big sports fan is because I remember back in the day with my Panini sticker album, when Jose Canseco just went 40-40 and you're trying to fill all of the different teams with all the different stickers. And it was really a way for me to learn about sports and learning about value and trading. And there's just so much good stuff about it. Where can everybody connect with you?
1: Um, well, Panini is at, at Panini America across all social platforms. You can find our products at Walmart and Target and hobby stores online at paniniamerica.net. Um, yeah.
0: And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode. I'm curious. Are you a card collector at all in any point of your life? And if so, who was your favorite player to collect? You can hit up FanFood on Twitter at FanFood on Demand, on Instagram at FanFood app or on LinkedIn. And as always, you can hit me up on all social media platforms at Rob Cressy.